This is really good scouting, really good understanding of their team, what they're trying to accomplish going forward. And um, it's impressive to see the the amount of talent that they have. You know, they got a lot of young talent that's, you know, going to continue to develop and Atlanta's going to be good in some years to come. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about who the Portland Trailblazers drafted. You know, we, we get a guy who's 19 years old. You know, he's only playing 18, 19 minutes a night, nine points, four or five rebounds a game, versatile, gets to the basket. Guy who was a year ago, co-MVP of McDonald's, MVP of Jordan Classic. When you want to be the best at something, you go at who you think is the best. And I think in terms of talented artists, it's Dame. And I think Lonzo Ball is as well. And I think Bagley mentioned both of them. Then he came out with a, a diss track and the rest is history. Welcome to the Gene Upshaw episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 63. Wow, we've been doing this for a while now. The draft has come to an end. It's actually, let me look at my calendar to be sure. It's actually Friday the 21st, almost the 22nd here in China. I'm still in Shanghai, if you haven't noticed or don't follow me on social media. I've wrapped up my leaning tour, and now I'm just taking care of some business in Shanghai. Uh, got a little camp we're going to do out here that starts tomorrow, actually. So looking forward to doing that before I head back to the States and get ready for my brother's bachelor party. But um uh, Excited to welcome a new teammate, Nazir Little, to the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, we also drafted another kid in the second round. Uh, actually, online we actually signed <laughs> we signed someone to a two way by someone. I mean Jalen Horde from Wake, two way contract. So welcome. And also, we want to welcome Jordan Schultz to the pull-up hot. As always, Jordan is running on E. He hasn't gotten much sleep. He got another taste of what draft night can do to the soul, the mind, and the body. Yo, man, I am gassed. I am absolutely gassed. Um, I, I It was my first real draft experience of like being on the air and being in it. And it was a great experience, but I didn't go to bed till like 4 a.m., man. 4 a.m. is is insane. How crazy was it to see, you know, some of the trades that happened before the draft, some of the actual trades that happened during the draft. Everyone's always on their phones. Wolves is dropping bombs. Players are having to take hats off and switch hats. Pelicans players and Lakers players aren't sure what team they're on, you know, moving forward. There's just a lot that went on. Did you notice how on edge everyone was? Not to mention some people sitting in the green room longer than expected. What surprised me, see, was not the barrage of trades, because I think everyone expected that, but more so just the tension in the building. So once Zion goes, Ja goes, and, and RJ goes, then, you know, there's like, okay, what's going to happen now? Because um, then all of a sudden New Orleans traded, traded the pick and you have just instant action where you don't really know what every team wants. You know what their needs are, but there's, there's so many smoke screens. There's so many different options because you could go you could go with one of these great freshmen. Do you want upside? Do you need uh, a help me now pick? So between the teams and then really the players in the building, watching the guys wait in the green room, for me, was just agonizing because I could feel their their unease. There's nothing they can do. They've done everything possible to this point, but now there's there's nothing they can do, and it's just a wait and see process. And between them and their families and their agents, I could just feel it, and it was it was agonizing. Yeah, for me, having been in the green room as a player, you know, kind of waiting to be drafted, you never want to see guys, you know, have to go through, you know, waiting pick after pick. I think in my draft, Nerlens was expected to be number one pick. I think he ended up dropping to six. There were some other players who went probably earlier than expected. I think Dennis Schroeder had a promise early in the first round, ended up dropping out of a lot of um, activities at the Combine, and he went early. There's always something that happens as a surprise. I think this year um, with Bull Bull dropping um, – as far as he did in the second round, he's talking about a guy who was projected as a top 20 pick. And before he stepped foot on Oregon's campus, he was projected as a top five pick. It's it's sad to see something like that happen. But I think in this case, he drops to Denver. Denver, who also took another guy who went through a similar situation where he had you know, some questionable medicals in terms of back or lower extremities, in this case with ball ball being the foot. What do you think was the cause of him dropping uh, so low in this draft, and what kind of steal is Denver getting in him? So, Bull Bull, there was a, a thought that as as the draft started to go on, really the lottery, that 
early lottery that he was going to slip. Now, I didn't think he would go this far, but it's a combination of two things. One is medicals, and then two, what he what he put on tape wasn't I don't think it wasn't good enough to warrant necessarily the lottery given his 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 injury. Now, he's an incredible talent. He's one of the most I don't know, maybe five, six, seven most talented players in the draft at seven plus his ability to shoot it. I saw him in person. His touch was incredible. Um, but he's he's he needs work. You know, his body is extremely narrow and slight. But you're talking about a guy, CJ, that from a talent perspective has legitimate all-star ability. Um, but it was the biggest surprise of the night to see him slide and continue sliding. And uh, I must say that having seen the hype around him coming out of high school, seeing him in college, it was it was hard to watch because he was there and I don't, I'm, I'm sure he was just, he was just waiting and it was extremely frustrating. Yeah, he was waiting. It was extremely frustrating, but I think the, the best part about this situation is that as I always tell players and as most players have noticed that are already in the league now, it's not where you get drafted. It's what you do after you're drafted. So obviously it hurts the money in the front end, but being able to, really show who you are as an NBA player in these next few years will be crucial for these guys. And some of these second round picks, you know, it's a it's a double edged sword. You have a you have a shorter deal, not as much guaranteed money, but you also become a free agent faster. So I've seen some guys really take advantage of, you know, being a second round pick or being undrafted where you really get to hand pick where you're going. Sort of like Fred Van Fleet did where he picked a, a situation. He started off in the D League, worked his way up and now has become a very successful NBA player. In my draft class, Alan Crabb goes second round. He's able to negotiate the proper deal to where he becomes a free agent faster and he has success at the right time and is able to capitalize on a big deal. Chandler Parsons had a similar situation as well where he was able to get to the money faster. And last but not least, Wesley Matthews, you know, another guy who, you know, he goes undrafted. Uh, he ends up being a starter in Utah. He plays well and he signs a, and he signs a deal out of it. So there's always interesting situations to where you may not be excited in the beginning, but there's always a catch-22 where things can change on the back end. Do you think there's something to be said about second-round picks, non-drafted guys, that it changes their mentality at all? Or are these guys so motivated already? I think guys are super motivated already. But if you're a guy who's supposed to be a first-round pick and you fall to the second round, uh, it's definitely a reality check. It's just definitely something you have to look in the mirror and kind of evaluate. And it's not that you care about what people think, but you have to – Look at, like, what can I do better? Not just as a basketball player, but as a person. And if it's medical, then that's out of your control. You can't control your medicals. You can't control if you're battling injuries or overcoming something. But if it's from a perspective of them questioning your mindset, questioning your mentality, questioning your overall work ethic, then that's something you can fix and, and build on going forward. And I think for some of these players who have dropped in, in, in this year, in these circumstances, I think it's more so injury than anything. I don't know Bobo personally, but... I would imagine a player with his type of talent, you know, his his level of uh, offensive versatility, being able to hit threes, get to the rim, he can do so many different things. I think his medicals probably hurt him a little bit, but that's just me, you know, guessing because honestly, I have I have no clue. Yeah, he played in nine games for Oregon. Uh, eventually, he had a stress fracture in his left foot. Um, he said his foot's one hundred percent healed. Um, when you're that big, CJ, obviously. Foot problems are, are a little scary. He was the highest rated player to sign in Oregon history, uh, and he did average 21-10 and shot 52% from three, which, uh, is, to be honest, way better than I thought. I, I There were times when he disappeared in games, but I didn't realize he was that efficient. Um, so, you know, it's going to be really fun to see him try to prove everybody wrong. He goes to Denver, who has, as you know, a t ton of offensive talent. Um, he won't have to contribute right away he goes to a winning team which is probably a positive did anything stand out to you in terms of guys that were drafted higher than you thought like I, I thought Rui Hachimura going nine um, was pretty surprising to Washington you know uh, Sekou Demboya I thought would be a lottery pick he ends up sliding 15 to Detroit yeah, obviously, I was working out in China during the draft, so I was getting updates during my workout, you know, just basically waiting to see who we were going to pick and where we were going to be in the draft in terms of do we trade, do we keep it, do we trade up, so on and so forth. But I think there's two things that, that struck me by surprise. Uh, I, I didn't know Darius Garland was that good. I watched you know some of his film 
Uh, I'm not. I don't obviously watch a lot of college basketball, but when there's certain players that you know get comparisons or um, are guards or have flashy play or versatile, versatile games, I try to watch you know some clips of them and, and get a better understanding of them. But I didn't know he was that good. He looks like he's going to be a solid player in this league. Um, I was surprised that the Minnesota Timberwolves drafted Jared Culver. Um, not because of his versatility or like his game, but because they had Andrew Wiggins. I think this is a sign that, you know, based on some of the rumors that maybe they're trying to shop um, Andrew Wiggins or, or maybe trying to pair them together because they're both six eight uh, versatile wings. I think another thing that was pretty surprising to me, um, based on what I seen, was um, Kevin Porter going thirty. Uh, I thought I thought he he might have went a little bit higher um, than thirty. But outside of that, looking at the draft, I, th- I thought the the kid from from Texas was going to go pretty high. I thought that uh, Kobe was obviously going to go pretty high. I think you know for Duke being able to get three players in the top ten, you know that's super dope. Something that hasn't been done um, in in a pretty long time. So uh, no no real real surprises um, over this way. I was I was surprised. Uh, Ponds from uh, St. John's. I was surprised he didn't get drafted. You know, talking about a guy who averages twenty two. Five and five, twenty-one, five and five, um, and, and and goes undrafted. Okay, Mister McCollum, some breaking news here on the Pull Up Pod. I just reported on Twitter and Instagram that Shamori Pons, former St. John's standout, is headed to the Houston Rockets. So Houston gets another big time score. He averaged twenty points, five assists, three steals last year for St. John's. Super dynamic, like one of the most explosive electric playmakers in the country. He was the only player the last two years to earn first-team All-Big East honors. We saw him light up Duke for 33 two years ago. And I, I've seen you play against him um, at Sky during the summer. He, he's really lethal downhill. He can score in a lot of ways, improve his shooting. Uh, what are your takes uh, and first thoughts on this, Mr. McCollum, hearing about Shamori going to Houston? He's got game. He's got pace. He's a big game player. I like him a lot. I do. And I thought that... The, uh, the Edwards kid from Purdue should have been a first-round pick as well. Carson Edwards, yeah. He goes to Boston. Um, so he'll, he was a second-round pick. He'll have plenty of uh, opportunities to score in this league, I would imagine, for quite some time. Um, you know what's interesting? You mentioned Garland. So Cleveland, Cleveland has Colin Sexton there. And some people will look at this as a negative. I look at this, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I look at the Cavs as trying to build the Blazers East version. I mean, isn't that what, isn't that a fair thing of like, I'm not saying they're going to be that successful, but they're looking at you and Dame and saying, why not have two guards that can play on and off the ball, can score and play make, even though they're, they could both play the point. Like why not have combo guys? Yeah, I think, I mean, I understand what you're saying from a sense of having two guys who can play on and off the ball. Two guys who are very versatile um, players, capable of scoring at three levels for the most part. You know, threes, mid-range, finishing at the rim. The only difference um, from what I've seen is that they're they're smaller than us. Um, Dame's about six two, and I'm all the six three, but basically six four at this point in my career. I think that's just the only difference. But if one of them is willing to sacrifice, actually, both of them will, will need to be willing to sacrifice, especially with. Um, the way they're used to playing, having the ball in their hands all the time, you know, being the the guy who gets all the pick and rolls, you have to split the low, you have to share the low, which means smaller usage rate, less less time on the ball, less time actually in the action, and you have to be become a better catch and shoot player. I think both of them will need to become better catch and shoot players, uh, being able to attack in angles and uh, on different parts of the court. I think from a spacing standpoint. Figuring those little things out uh, early on in their career will be will be very very crucial for their development later on. But anything is possible, honestly. If you really want to make something work, you can. But offensively and defensively, it's a, it's always a challenge in this league, especially um, when you're a young guy coming into the league. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's the the size difference is is worth noting. Um, those Garland is about six one, and 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 so is Sexton. They're they're probably not going to be able to, um, you know, maybe play against bigger lineups as much. But you can see the template that you have set, CJ, as two guards who can play off one another and complement. 
and it goes into this kind of positionless style of basketball where let's just have our best playmakers, our best scorers on the floor together and let them figure it out because they're good enough to do so. Yeah, I agree. I think the best players need to be on the floor. The best players need to play. And looking at the way the NBA is set up now, if you can dribble, shoot, pass, and defend, there's room for you. If you can do one of those things extremely well, you're going to get minutes at some point. So having guys who can dribble, create for others, create for themselves, shoot, score at all three levels, and defend, I think you have a, a very solid backcourt. Now, obviously, the defend, defending part is what what takes the most time in the NBA. Um, get adjusting to the three-point line, all those things will be important. But you're talking about a guy who shot, I think he shot damn near 50% from three in college. So the jump shot is there. He's really, really solid. Yeah, so Garland, um, I went and did a story on Vanderbilt right after Garland got hurt. The original idea was to do it and focus it on Garland, but he he gets hurt and and obviously their season really just goes down in flames. But what was what what really struck me about Garland was the relationship that he built with Bryce Drew, who was there last night at the draft, and the actual Vanderbilt players. So when he got hurt, he stayed with the team all year. Um, he 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 was a part of their roster without actually playing. He stayed in school. There are some natural leadership qualities there that he has for a young man that hasn't really played a lot of basketball. He's just 19 years old. But in the four games he did play, including against USC and Kevin Porter, who I think is going to be has a chance to be a really good player, by the way, as, as you noted, Garland was lights out. He can really shoot it. He gets downhill. He's kind of in that, you know, Chris Paul mode of he, he really is excellent in pick and roll. Um, you talked about defense. That's obviously going to be an adjustment, but now all of a sudden Cleveland has two guards that can really go. And I, th- that pick has been criticized. I liked it. Um, and we'll have to wait and see. Um, when, when you talk about CJ, some of the bigs that, that we, you know, these, these, uh, new age bigs, I can spread the floor, um, and, you know, create matchup problems. We obviously saw Jokic in the playoffs do so many different things. Were you, did anybody that you were able to see this season, I, I know you didn't watch a ton of college hoops, but were there any bigs that you saw in this draft? You mentioned Jackson Hayes from Texas that you thought could maybe step in and play right away. Yeah, I've seen Jackson Hayes. His athleticism is ridiculous. I've seen some of his pre-draft workouts as well. His explosiveness, ability to really alter shots, you know, getting two blocks, two-plus blocks per game. Um, he showed some some dominant tendencies that translate right away. I was able to check out, obviously, Bobo. I was able to see him. i seen the uh, Cam Johnson kid from North Carolina. He's smooth. I like his demeanor. I like the way he's able to shoot, score the ball, do do some different things. I was happy to see him and also happy to see Kobe White, his teammate, talk about how hard he worked and how happy he is that he's in this position. Um, obviously, the kid from Gonzaga is pretty skilled. He's super strong. And as we talked about um, – Brandon off, Clark, yeah. Yeah, as we talked about off air a little bit, um, the Siku kid, his versatility is, is out of this world. He's super versatile, bouncy, can shoot it, do a little bit of everything. He's not a big man. He's like a versatile 3-4 man who's going to play a lot in this league. And um, I'm also um, a, a fan of DeAndre Hunter. I watched him uh, during during his uh, conference conference championship and um, NCAA championship tournament run. I, I think that he's going to be a, a special player in this league as he develops. And he's not a big man. Um, he's just a 3-4 guy, maybe play some four because his strength, his length, his ability to stretch the floor, I think he makes his team better right away. Atlanta's, man, they're doing some serious drafting. Oh, my goodness. They're doing some serious, serious movement acquiring assets, acquiring the right assets. They look good. I like what they're doing. I really like what New Orleans was able to do with that Anthony Davis trade. Dude, New Orleans and Atlanta killed it last night. Killed it. Uh, first of all, you talk about Hunter. That To me, there's one guy I see with Hunter, and just talking to people, I, it seems like the, this is the comparison. I see OG Ananobi. I mean, that's, that's the body type. He has almost identical measurements. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think if he's – I mean, I like the comparison because of the size, the length, them both being young, athletic players. But I think Hunter might have a little bit more skill. 
at this at this stage than than OG did from Indiana. They're both super athletic, but I think that based on what I was able to see, he has flashes of being able to handle the ball a little bit. You know, the jumper is coming along. He has a a comfortable mid range, comfortable out to three. Doesn't shoot a high volume of them, but he seemed very comfortable. I could definitely see the comparisons. And Atlanta's in a position right now to where they're not. They don't need to necessarily win now. They need to develop players um, and really look long term. The 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 jump Trey Young made, you know, from I don't know game thirty to game seventy, kind of showed you know what he's capable of. You got Kevin Herter, uh, you got the big fella in the middle. Uh, they they picked up. They also got the kid from Duke too, didn't they? Cam Reddish. Can you believe that? You get Cam Reddish in the same draft. You, you <laughs> this is this is this is really good scouting. Really good understanding of their team, what they're trying to accomplish going forward, and um, it's impressive to see the the amount of talent that they have. You know, they got a lot of young talent that's you know going to continue to develop, and Atlanta's going to be good in some years to come. You know, probably sooner than later. You know, with the development they're able to do, and, and how uh, Lloyd's been able to you know kind of let his players go, empowering them to make mistakes, empowering them to try things out and figure out exactly who they are and how they can be successful in this league. I think success a lot of times isn't just on the player. It's on the organization and the staff to empower you because there's a lot of capable players who aren't empowered by staff, who aren't empowered by coaches, who aren't given opportunities to play through mistakes, who aren't given opportunities to be themselves and are put into boxes. And when you put players in boxes, it's hard for them to really succeed. But when you let them go, uh, you're able to see extreme levels of growth, and that's when you really get star level players and role players who may be out the league become, you know, high quality individuals like a Joe Ingles who's able to knock down threes, can defend, only average six, seven points a game in Europe, but has showed that he can be extremely impactful in NBA games. And if he's in the wrong team, wrong situation, you're talking about a guy who wouldn't have been able to, you know, be a point forward on a playoff team. No, that's a great point. So much to unpack here. Uh, you mentioned Cam Johnson goes 11, which was a lot higher than he was mocked. I thought he was a really good player all year. I thought it was so cool how Kobe White responded. Uh, you talk about Atlanta with finding fits. Think about the young talent they now have with, with Lloyd Pierce, who is a great, and I mean really great, developmental coach. We saw it last year with Trey and John Collins and and Herter and Spellman, guys that got better. Think about who he has now to work with. So he has his core already of Trey, Collins, and Herter. Then they add Reddish. They add Hunter. You, you're talking about, I think, one of the most talented, and these guys are all 21 or younger, talented young cores in the league now. Obviously, they're going to have to learn how to win and develop, but the Hawks in the last two years, CJ, I would say, have done as good a job as anybody in the draft. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that statement for sure. They've they've drafted well. Um, they position themselves to have success. And obviously, the Trey Young, Luka Doncic situation, uh, it is what it is. Um, those two players are both, you know, extremely talented. They're both, you know, going to have great careers. Obviously, only one can win rookie of the year. But, you know, going forward, you know, they'll be the standard for guard play until another guard kind of surpasses them. Uh, looking at the duality of both of them, you got this upcoming draft where you got a John Moran, you got Darius Garland, you have all these types of players who will impact the NBA. But I think they're the standard of, you know, young rookie guards who are coming in averaging 20, getting assists, really impacting the game. And, you know, Trey's had multiple 40-15 games, 30-15 games. So he's he's really figured some things out. And like you said before, the development from Lloyd Pierce um, has played a big role. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about who the Portland Trailblazers drafted. You know, we, we get a guy who's 19 years old. You know, he's only playing 18 minutes a night in you know, North Carolina. I'm not sure what, what what they were doing over there in North Carolina. Honestly, I'm a big Tar Heel fan, but um, obviously he's backing up a lottery pick. But only playing 18, 19 minutes a night, you know, nine points, four or five rebounds a game. Um, versatile, gets to the basket. Guy who was a year ago, he was winning, uh, what, he co-MVP of McDonald's, MVP of Jordan Classic. So... He has a lot of potential. What are your thoughts on Isaiah Little? What can I expect to see um, from him, my, my future and our current teammate uh, coming into next season? So I I have been a massive fan of Nas Little for the last three years. Um, he was a obviously a huge recruit. I'm sure he would have wanted to play more. I thought he should have should have played more uh, in North Carolina. But you, CJ, he from a 
a raw talent perspective of coming into the NBA and having the tools that he's got everything you'd possibly want. He, he's six, six, he's 220 pounds. Um, he's really athletic. He's, he's, he's long. He, he averaged 10 and five. And, and like you said, in 18 minutes, he was, he really wasn't used the way I thought he should have been used. He, he, he's a great defender. He can guard three or four spots. He moves his feet. He competes. He, he's not, he's not Zion, but like, that's the, and he's not that, that athlete because Zion's is in his own world, but that's the kind of, he, he plays with that same kind of energy um, and that same kind of, you know, ferociousness that you'd want of a young guy. And now that he, like you said, he wasn't a lottery pick. I thought he should have been one. He's going to come in completely ready to roll. Um, and, and I just think you're talking about a high character guy. He had a near four GPA, 4.0 GPA. Uh, he is, he's going to be a really good NBA player. You're going to love having him because he's going to make a ton of winning plays. Uh, he gets after it and, uh, he's going to get a lot better. And I think, I don't think it's going to take him too long to, to really earn a spot in the, on the, on the, um, on the roster in terms of playing time. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing his development, man. I'm, I'm impressed with the near 4.0 GPA. Um, that's, that shows character. That shows a will to really show up for class and, to apply yourself um, looking at the fact that he probably only had to do six months of school he, he was still invested in you know handling his day-to-day business more show in a minute but first you shouldn't have to choose between overpriced designer sunglasses and cheap shades that won't last you in the summer that's why i'll never wear anything other than movement sunglasses you've heard us talk about movement disrupting the watch industry well now they're doing it again with sunglasses the los angeles-based Accessories brand has hundreds of premium, affordable sunglass styles to choose from. Constructed with durable and lightweight materials for that perfect, reliable fit, you don't have to choose between style and function. You get both. I've been wearing their Outlaw sunglasses. I really love how the glasses are super clean and minimal, but we still stand out in the crowd or post-game press conference. Movement glasses start at $60 and no pair prices over $95. So you're guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. They've sold over 2.5 million products across more than 160 countries, and their collections are always expanding. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movement.com slash pullup. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanded collection. Go to movement.com slash pull up. Join the movement. Okay, back to the show. We didn't talk about the Warriors at all. Obviously, you know, last time we recorded the podcast, uh, KD went down with a tough injury. Now Clay has gone down with a, a tough injury, man. Wishing him nothing but the best as he rehabs him. Uh, deservingly so, he's, he's still going to get a five-year full max. Um which he's earned, you know, over the course of his career and with his stellar play, he was on his way to a forty-point um, night in Game Six, potentially going to force a Game Seven back in Toronto. But the Warriors draft a kid from Michigan. They already have a kid from Michigan State who's pretty good. What do you think about who the Warriors drafted? And then um, briefly discuss uh, some of the rumors that the Warriors could potentially facilitate a situation where Kevin Durant signs a five-year. Um, extension with them. They allow him to rehab and sign in trade as a thank you for your services. Wow. I mean, I've seen it online. It's not, it's not, this is not me coming up with this, by the way. I think Brian Windhorst talked about it yesterday while I was on the elevator in, in China, uh, randomly, you know, heading to a workout. So the, I, I'm not going to take credit for that. I got it. I'm not. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to hit Wendy. I'm going to have to hit Wendy because I hadn't even seen that. So was that he was more it was more speculation. Itself. Yeah, more spe- it was a video where he was talking about like things that could potentially happen. He also talked about the Knicks, uh, how, you know, I don't know, a month ago he thought the Knicks had a chance to get Anthony Davis. Yeah. And Kevin Durant. Yes. But yes. now obviously, you know, things have kind of changed. But he was just talking about different situations and things the Warriors could do uh in the event that Kevin Durant agrees to sign a, a five year max. They could do a sign and trade. And allow him to rehab in the meantime until the sign and trade is done. And that way he still gets the most money possible because he's staying with his team and getting the five full years and then able to pick his destination uh, because of what he was able to accomplish in Golden State, the type of person he is, how good he is as a player, and what he sacrificed uh, by coming back early. Well, that would be the the, the classy thing to do of Golden State. Um, they'd obviously have to find the package that, that fit. I don't. I don't know if I would see that happening. I'm just trying to think about the money. Yeah, I mean, it is possible. Um, in terms of 
So so why don't we unpack it? The Warriors draft really quick. They got Jordan Poole and Eric Pascal, uh, who I I think both of them are like 10-year pros. Uh, Jordan Poole from Michigan, sophomore swingman, uh, can shoot it, can score. Pascal, a guy that can um, really just do everything. He's like a classic Villanova, kind of undersized four-man, can play some three. He, he's a winner. He, he's a, he's going to play right away for them. Um, okay, so in terms of KD, the – the biggest thing for me with with trying to evaluate that situation is um, how things have changed since the injury. So the Knicks have felt throughout this process really, really good, CJ, that they were going to get Kevin or that they had a really good shot to get him. Then the injury happens, and now we start to hear the fact that Kyrie could be a net. Kyrie wants to be a net. Um and then the Knicks thinking all along that if they got Kevin, they could probably get Kyrie. So I don't know how the injury changes things. If Golden State were to give him the Supermax and then sign and trade him, um, how would that – I'm just trying to understand. So would how would that benefit the Warriors, though? I guess they would get something in return. Though. I have no idea. I don't think it made sense. But listening to the way he was phrasing it was if – the Warriors were trying to gain assets, understanding that they could lose KD. Right. No. For so they, they, yeah, nothing. they would get something in return. Like he could walk for nothing. So in the event that he did want to leave, no one knows what he's going to do but him. He probably doesn't even know what he wants to do right now. But in the event that he did want to leave, right? Okay. It could yeah. be a nice parting gift. That was kind of like Windhorse's um, explanation, so to speak. Made me kind of think, you know, about like how classy that would be if, in the event that they decided to do it. But speaking of classy trades Anthony Davis finally received his his wish you know his one wish like Ray J <laughs> and was traded to the Lakers however however the money situation wasn't handled the way it should have been so the Lakers were forced in a bit of a pickle you know in terms of trying to figure out how to sign another max slot and Atlanta slid in like a DM like <laughs> slid in like the right kind of direct message and allowed them to kind of complete the trade so now they have space for another max player is that correct Yes, and so and they're not they're not quite there, but they're really close to getting there. They've moved some stuff. They're moving stuff around because they want to get that final max slot. It's a really smart move. Um, I if I'm the Lakers right now, I'm ecstatic because we get Anthony Davis finally. We don't have to give up Kuz, and we're in the process of potentially getting a third max player, whether that's Jimmy Butler, um, Kyrie, perhaps. I mean, if you're the if you're the Lakers, you go from being, you know, one of the most disappointing teams in the league to one of the most, I would say, one of the three or four, um, you know, lowest odds to win a championship next year. They're definitely going to be in the conversation to win a championship. I think their odds increased uh, greatly as uh, soon as the season ended because the speculation in Vegas was that they were going to get at least one max player. Um, to star alongside LeBron James. Now that they've got Anthony Davis, who's an all-world player, and a chance to get, I don't know, a Kimba or a D'Angelo Russell or a Malcolm Brogdon or a Patrick Beverly or the list goes on and on, Jimmy Butler. There's so many potential names being thrown around right now, Nikola Vucevic, that I'm sure the odds uh, will continue to increase for the Lakers to win a championship um, in terms of uh, Vegas' thoughts and, and their predictions. But... We didn't even – I know we're going to be talking about trades um, next week. Uh, we're going to really highlight the the trades that have gone down, you know, discuss a little pre-free agency. Um, I was surprised to find out in China that uh, Mike Conley was traded. Um, well, I wasn't surprised that he was traded. I was surprised at the timing of it and where he was traded, you know, going to the Utah Jazz and, and how good Mike Conley really is. I don't think people really realize and understand – how good Mike Conley is. Like, he can really hoop. He's a game changer. Dude, I love Mike Conley. I think he's one of the best, been one of the, the best, most consistent point guards in the NBA over the last decade. Um, when you say game changer, though, that like that stands out to me because I agree he hasn't been in this, like, all-star player that people, that I think average fans really look at as, like, a great player, but he is. Can you elaborate on that in terms of, because I, I think he's an ambidextrous passer. He score. He he does everything. He shoots it at a high clip. Tell me what you what you mean by game changer and how you see him fitting in alongside Donovan Mitchell. Because I think he's going to be able to alleviate so much of the playmaking for for Mitchell. Yeah, but by game changer, I mean he can single handedly impact the game on both sides of the ball. 
Like he's good in pick and roll coverages defensively. He has active hands, as you said before. He can really shoot the basketball, catch and shoot off the dribble. His mid range is disgusting. You know he can get to that fifteen footer. Um, he does play ambidextrous. He he prefers to shoot the writer with the uh, the writer the floater with the right hand, but he can also shoot it with the left hand. He's a threat to stop behind and, and shoot trays. So not only. You know, do you have to worry about the lob threat with Gobert? And do you have to worry about a slashing wing and Donovan Mitchell? But you can't just go under screens the way you could on Ricky Rubio because Conley's capable of knocking it down. By game changer, I mean you have to game plan for him. So when you go into, you know, pregame, when you're going through certain plays, you have to understand that Mike Conley's capable of breaking a play at any time. He's capable of scoring during a possession at any time, and he's going to actually have plays that are called and designed for him to score. Whereas with Ricky Rubio, no offense to him, he's more of a pass-first point guard. He's more of a, you know, set the table. Can't hit the jump shot, but doesn't like to shoot it. More of a mid-range shooter, not not necessarily a three-point shooter in terms of statistics and how he's been used and how he's played historically. I think Mike Conley changes the perception of this team, his aggression level, being able to score 40 in the game. Uh, he has that type of offensive firepower. And then his just experience overall, playing in playoff games, you know, having a shoulder to load of a franchise. Like, he's done all those things. And I think from a mentorship standpoint, he'll be able to help Donovan Mitchell. From a on-the-court standpoint, he'll be able to help the whole team because he's a winner. He's a leader. He's a defender. He's a good teammate. Talk about a guy who's probably won multiple awards for being, you know, one of the best teammates in the NBA. I think he's just a all-world franchise changer and someone who impacts the game on both ends. And the West just got a lot better. Like, we, we said it was going to be Westeros um, when when Katie and Bron and all those guys came to the West, but the West is just continuing to get better. And the funniest part about all of this is that Kimball Walker could be coming to the West. Harrison Barnes could be signing with another team in the West. Jimmy Butler could be coming back to the West. Tobias Harris could be coming back to the West. And Kawhi Leonard could be coming to the West. So just so many things could happen in these next, I don't know how many days. And I didn't even say Chris Middleton, who's probably going to get a five-year max from the Bucks. So we won't have to worry about seeing him uh, four times um, in the regular season. Think about the West. Why does everybody go West? Like, nobody goes East. Nobody. I mean, even... even um. Uh, Kawhi gets traded to the East. Maybe he stays in the East, but nobody goes. Nobody just says, "You know what? Let me go East." Maybe KD, because because it's it's been a hell of a run for the West, dude. I mean, it just gets harder and harder. Yeah, it was it was an interesting year, but that's what's fun about the league, man. It's it's super competitive, talented, and the talent continues to increase. You get more guards coming into the league every year who who are talented. You get more free agents coming into the league every year who are talented. And not only do you get more athletes that are talented, you get more rappers like Marvin Bagley, who's out here dropping diss tracks. Oh, I was waiting for it. Six. I was waiting for it. So I had that in my, I had that in my like number one thing to talk about today, but I wanted, I was I knew you were going to bring it up. So proceed. Have you listened to the diss tracks, thoughts on the diss tracks? And then, uh, before we get off here, because it's almost bedtime, we have to discuss the wine of the week in the wine segment. Yes. Can I just say one more, just really quick about going back to to to, to you talk? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Absolutely. So my thing with the Jazz has been they needed another, they, they desperately needed another playmaker because if you, as you saw in the playoffs against Houston, like the 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 Rockets just loaded up on on Donovan and just basically played like a pack line defense because they didn't they weren't scared of anybody else. So now you add in Conley, who has one of the best mid range games in the league. He really like you, like he's just deadly one two three dribble pull up, plays pick and roll, uh, unselfish. I mean that I, I think Utah got a lot better. Um, in in like I think that, that changes the entire perception of that team and how you guard them. Um, so I like you. I think it was a great move. So that was my only. I just wanted. I just wanted to throw that out there about the Jazz. No, I think I think you you made some great points. And as I've said historically, you hit it right on the head, man. <laughs> Mike Conley makes the Jazz better. He, he he just does. They become a better team with him out there. Um, they lost some assets. They lost some pieces, but he makes them better. Yeah. Okay. And. Just talking about these diss tracks now. I think it's I think it's great for the league. I think it's great for music in general. Um, Marvin, Dame, Dame back to back, a lot of bars. 
a lot of bars. And then Marvin responded this morning. I think this is actually this is actually pretty funny, man. I think this is pretty funny, and I think the the world of NBA fans are are truly enjoying this. So I don't know if Marvin knows what he's really getting into because not only does Dame uh, Dame has some serious bars and he can go, but you're talking about a guy that on the court is, as you know, a stone cold killer who doesn't mind taking the hardest shots because he knows he's gonna. He knows he's gonna make him. He is. If I'm if I'm a rapper, if I'm an NBA rapper, I'm not going at Dame. <laughs> I think it's it's the competitive spirit that we all have. There's a reason why we got to this point. And when you want to be the best at something, you go at who you think is the best. And I think in terms of you know, talented um, artists, it's Dame. Dame's at the top of the the totem pole for for artists who are talented. I think it showed. Um, historically that, you know, compared to a lot of other athletes, he's up there. And I think Lonzo Ball is as well. And I think Bagley mentioned both of them. Then he came out with a, a diss track and the rest is is history. But I'm I'm just glad I get to see it. <laughs> I'm just glad I get to see it and be a part of it, man. It's been fun to see. It's healthy. It's not like it's not like violent. This isn't like no East Coast, West Coast you know, Pac, Biggie type situation. It's just a guys, you know, rap rapping about each other. Yeah, but then Jay Hart comes out and says, uh, wow, at Dame Lord, why you have to do my man like that? <laughs> I mean, he responded with vengeance. I mean, even Brad tweeted it. Marvin had a nice clap back, but Dame dropped two heaters. He did. He Dame dropped two big boy heaters, and you know some of the stuff he was saying. Um, I mean, it was it was a lot of facts. There was a lot of facts in there, a lot of hurtful facts. So you think? Do you think Bagley is regretting this, or is he going to keep doubling down? Absolutely not. He's loving every moment of this because, as a competitor, you enjoy you know rapping back and forth, going at each other. The cover art he's been using on his tracks have been hilarious. You know he has yeah that's himself true. holding Dame as the baby. Like they're really enjoying this. Honestly, as a competitor, they're enjoying this. Um, I doubt Dame responds again. I don't think he responds anymore after the back to backs. You know, similar to Drake style, Drake status. But you saw Bagley tweeted the the watch emoji, right? Yeah, yeah, I seen that. That was funny. That see, that's why I think Dame is not. I I feel like Dame's gonna come back again. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't think he responds again, man. I think it's over. Have you, you haven't talked to Dame, right? Not 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 yet. I, I talked to him yesterday. Well, yes, today for me. More so, I don't know if it was yesterday for <laughs> East West Coast. I don't yes. know. It was like two 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 a.m. East Coast time. So I talked to him like nine hours ago. Okay, so he's he's enjoying it, obviously. Oh man, he's he's a competitor, man. He is a competitor. He got some heat though. Like he really has. It's funny, like people talk about hobbies. Like he really has bars, and he takes it seriously. It's not like a he hobby goes for in him. The studio. Like, like he loves it. He goes in his studio and he really goes to work. Like he's banging out tracks. Like he's putting real music out here with real beats, with real rappers and real artists that want to collab with him for the free. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're really good at something, people mess with you. If you're just average, you can't get Little Wayne on a track. You can't get quality talent on your track. Nobody's messing with you if you're weak. But he really got bars. He really like he really does this. This is not a this is not a game. And you really have to have substance, delivery, and a real understanding of poetry. Like wordplay gotta be crazy for you to put bars together with, without curse words. Like he put multiple albums out without curse words. That's hard to do. What what strikes me about Dame too, two things is it's the going in the studio for him is like it's not a hobby. Like he it's like a passion. He he loves it. He's been writing since he was a child. Right. We talk about pace on the court. His pace as a rapper has gotten a lot better the last several years, and he's actually like a legitimate rapper. He's he's pretty good. No, I mean he's legitimate. He's come out with multiple albums, and I'm sure he has another album coming eventually. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if Marvin comes back at him then, and if this becomes like a a Drake Meek Mill situation, or am I totally overplaying it? Marvin came back out with something this morning. So as of, I don't know what time it is on the East Coast right now. We're recording. It's Friday right now. He, he really came out with something Friday morning. 
and responds to Dane's back-to-back, so you might want to go check that out. More show in a minute, but first, support for Pull Up with CJ McCollum comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose the template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your own story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Okay, back to the show. It's been a long time since we've discussed wine, but it doesn't mean we haven't been indulging in it for ourselves. The off season is here, which as Kawhi Leonard says, means more drinks, more desserts. And I can attest to both of those things, although I'm still working out and back on my grind, I've had lots of fine wine that you should add to your arsenal. Over yonder in China now, I'm gonna skip all the wine I drank in New York and go right to China. I've been in China for a little while now, still in Shanghai, leaving soon, but I have a gym for you. I have a gym that is solid price point. People always complain, I'm drinking wine, it's too expensive, it's this, it's that. I got a solid price point for you, something very versatile that you can buy on your apps, you can probably get at the local store. I've been drinking a lot of Pinots, I've been drinking a lot of Merlots, I've been drinking a lot of Cavs and so on and so forth, but I just dipped into the world of Syrah. I had a Syrah Gimblet Gravels Vineyard 2016 from New Zealand, and it was sensational. It's among the top 7% of wines in the world. It's more bold and light, more tannic than smooth, and a little bit on the dry side, but the acidity isn't too bad. It's more so in the middle. Um, Basically, I went to a great restaurant out here in Shanghai, and I had a nice, nice meal, uh, and this Syrah went really well with this the salmon I had. I, there was burgers being passed around, there was fries, there was uh, a nice prime rib. So there was a lot of stuff being passed around, but it went really well with the meat. So I would definitely advise this wine. Once again, it's called the Syrah, it's Gimlet. Gimlet Gravels Vineyard 2016. Its price point is $24. So it's a $24 bottle of wine. And as we always say, It all tastes the same after the second or third glass, but this was great on the first one. It was great on the first one, once again. I I advise you getting this. I'm gonna add this to your care package, Jordan, for sure. It's really, it sounds amazing. I love Syrahs and it's, I didn't know that you were a Syrah guy or is this your first real dip into it? This is my second dip into it, but the first one where I was like, I'm all in. Like the first one, I was like, oh, this is cool. Now I'm all in. So if I see it along with my Pinot, like I'm, I'm diving down this peak. Like I'm, I'm in. Wow, I am really excited about this. Twenty-four hours. I mean, can't, cannot beat that. That is, that's a special price point. You haven't sent me any bottles of like pictures in like four or five days, so that means you haven't been, you haven't drank in what four days, five days. I, I've been pretty locked in to, to, uh, to my, to my job, man. I'm mar- married to the, married to the grind. No, I actually, um. I had a glass of wine a few nights ago. I didn't send it to you because I was like, "You're in China. You're, you're not. Even, you might see this, but you're not going to remember." But um, it was fantastic, and um, you know what it was? I had more of the wine you sent, the the Beau Fritz. Beau Frere. Oh yeah, the Beau Frere. Beau Frere. Oh my goodness, that dude. Honestly, oh, right, you want some more of that? So I still. I mean, I still my... owe you a, a, a large care package of I don't know twelve bottles. So. I'll just keep keep bringing like two bottles, three bottles until I can put a, a large enough order together to have it shipped to New York because you know they got those those rules and regulations on alcohol. Was it one or two cases? I, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, if you can send, if 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 you can deliver some both, how do you pronounce it? Both freeze. Both rare. It's like B E A U X. B E A U X. Yeah, it's like both yeah. rare. Dude, that would be. I would be so happy and so appreciative. And honestly, like, if you if you're out there and you love Pinot, this 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 wine's unbelievable. It's it's worth the price. It's actually not as expensive as maybe it should be, um, and it's it's great. So CJ, thank you for turning me on to this wine. I I'm a huge fan. Wifey loves it. Um, so big time winner by you. Happy wifey, happy lifey. 
we will discuss a lot more next week. So we usually we close out the show after the wine segment, but I forgot one thing. We didn't discuss MVP, MIP, six band defensive player of the year. So who's your MVP? Giannis. Who's your MIP? Oh, that's I have like five. I want to know yours first. Pascal Siakam. Siakam. Lou Will six band. I'm going with Siakam. Okay, coach of the year. Uh, Bud or Doc? So I guess I mean Nick Nurse because the playoffs don't count. So obviously, yeah, this has already been decided. But Nick Nurse was a great candidate. But I'm going Bud or Doc. The Doc one's really interesting. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Uh, Rookie of the year, Luca, or or they take it back to Jason Kidd. A co? Yeah, split it down the middle like Jason Kidd and uh, Grant Hill. I think Luca's going to get it. Trey had a great, great push the last like 25, 30 games. And Doncic's efficiency did drop, but he was so good from the beginning and he had so much momentum developed. I would be fairly surprised if Trey got it or got a co. However, I love Trey. I think it's pretty cool they're going to be forever linked. And I I would have no problem with them being co-MVPs. I just think realistically it's going to be Lucas Award. The most improved one is really interesting because Siakam had a great year. We saw it in the playoffs when he had some really wonderful moments. Um, are there any others to you that stand out? Because that, to me, might be the most competitive of the uh, of the awards. Yeah, I mean, I think you look, you look at Siakam, you look at... D'Angelo Russell. You look at a lot of those players, and, and they all improved. They all performed well. Um, you could even give Sabonis a look for six men. But I think that based on how – like you're talking about Siakam going from a, a solid player to a $120 million player. That's a big jump. That is a huge jump. And although the voting comes out before the playoffs, he was killing before the playoffs started. He was killing. He was killing all season. Yeah, he was. What's interesting about the most improved is that usually, or at least it's common that these the most improved winners go on to be MVPs. Just an idea of uh, some most improved players. Um, Giannis, Paul George, Kevin Love, Jimmy Butler. So maybe an MVP or they go on to be all-stars. Um, obviously, Oladipo is one. Yeah, C.J. McCollum. C.J. McCollum, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, what year did you get it? I'm just messing with you, man. I'm just messing with you, man. Um, 15? Dude, absolutely. I mean, come on. Um, but what's, what's interesting about this award is too, is that there's about, I think four or five guys that make a real case. I might, so Siakam is a great choice. I have to give a lot of look, a lot of love to, to both D-Load and De'Aaron Fox as well for this one. I think they're all quality candidates, man. So I'm looking forward to to seeing what happens. And it's 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 been great catching up with you, man, on the pod. You too, man. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. We appreciate you guys tuning and listening as always. Uh, and don't forget to pull, pull up. up.